So I have been gone. Um, I went to a um, a camp. Uh, these are kids that have, in some way, shape, or form, been affected by cancer. Um, I don't say that boastfully. I say that just to let you know where I was. Um, these, I was in a cabin with. Uh, it was like, yeah, it's ten of them, and they were all twelve to thirteen year old boys. Okay, so you can imagine. Being in a cabin with 10, 12, 13-year-old boys for a week at a time, right? So it's an exciting time. I had an exciting week. It was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, the most interesting part of that was the fact that uh, when it came time to eat, I don't know if you've ever been around a 12 or 13-year-old boy, but when it comes time to eat, they eat, right? Like, like not just they eat, like they eat, you know? I mean, it is serious eating time, and we all sit down and so it's kind of like family style. So they bring these big trays of food, man, and, and it just like it's gone. I'm like, I'm like, Jesus, if you could like divide the five loaves and the two fishes so I might be able to have something to eat today, it would be great. Um, I spent most of my time going back up to that window to get more food for them to eat. And I, like it was just uh, it, it was a madhouse when it came dinner time. But um, it, it, it kind of opened my eyes to some things. I kind of want to share some things and and just some of the, the stuff that I saw as I was there and what it showed, uh, showed me about myself. Um, one of the, the most interesting things, I guess, is that um, you really couldn't, at this camp, you couldn't really talk about your faith at all. You couldn't really, um, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't say that you were a Christian necessarily or what you believe or about Jesus or any of that kind of stuff. You really couldn't talk about that. Um, because, you know, you got kids, they might be Muslim there, you know. I mean, they may have all different kinds of beliefs. I mean, you may have a kid that's Hindu there, you know. I mean, you don't really know. And this is a camp that really just caters to anybody that, um, that has been affected by cancer. So, anyway, they, um, one of the things I began to realize is, as a Christian, um, how to love somebody even though you can't really necessarily talk about Christ, um, how to really meet them in the place that they are. And, and, and a lot of these kids weren't Christians. I mean, a lot of these kids basically were just, uh, they, they really didn't talk about their faith whatsoever. So you could tell they were kind of indifferent to God. But it was, it was really a difficult situation for me because I am used to talking about my faith and where my hope comes from. But when you don't have that foundation, you don't have that base to come from, it became very difficult for me to kind of, like encourage them like what, what do you say to somebody who is on chemotherapy and like you know they're depressed about the fact that they might die you just and you can't talk about Jesus so I mean you just kind of love them and care about them and it just kind of ends there right I mean you really can't give them any hope per se and it just it, it just kind of awakened me to the reality of so many people going through life without genuine hope like I don't I don't have that base to come from where I just don't have any hope whatsoever for a future, for anything that is beyond this life. I, I can't imagine living in that condition day by day, especially in a, in a situation where you're faced with something that's life or death like cancer. I just, it, it really kind of opened my eyes to the fact that you must have a foundation that is based in Jesus Christ in order to be able to have any hope whatsoever. And just to think about the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit living within you and showing you day by day that he has sealed you to the day of redemption, that you are indeed one of God's family. Just that whole reality just kind of shook me to my core. And 
and, and just meeting these kids where they were and talking to them about their issues. Um, I will tell you um, one little thing real quick. This, I may, maybe I'm digressing a little bit here. But um, one of the kids, uh, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. So this, they had like a talent show thing where they got up and they, they had this one kid. He got up there. Um, and, and I mean, they're in front of a hundred people or whatever. And that's probably closer to two hundred people, and they're performing or whatever. And and one of our kids, he got up there and did some stuff. And uh, and then he was talking to me later about the fact that he's still on therapy, so he's still on chemotherapy. He's, he's and when you go swimming, you can tell um, a lot of them have had ports, or they still have ports in underneath their skin. They got a little incision right here. You can kind of see all of them. Uh, you kind of know who's had a port, who hasn't. So. Um, so when we went swimming, I was like, okay, he still got a port, and you could tell it was still active. And he told me later that he was still on therapy, so he was still on chemotherapy. So I was talking to him, and I can't tell you his name because I'm not allowed to talk about their names at all, not allowed to put anything on social media, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but anyway, so I was talking to him. It's like, hey, man, like, what's going on with you? And he's like, well, I, can I tell you about my biggest fear? I was like, Dude, okay, so he's on chemotherapy. I'm assuming we're going to talk about life and death. I mean, I, I, I saw him get up on stage, so obviously he's got stage presence. He's good, you know. I, he's not afraid of being in front of crowds. Um, so he was good there. I was like, what? What, do you, dude, what are you afraid of? I'm sure this has got to be about the chemo and cancer and all that. He said, hey, Kenny, um, talking to girls. <laughs> so... For all you women out there, you want to know what's scarier than death is talking to y'all. So, like, <laughs> he's, he was 13 years old, and I was like, oh, okay. So, so what, what's, I said, why is this coming up? I said, what's the deal? Because we were at dinner, and he was, like, talking to me about this, kind of opening up to me about his fears. And he even, he even said in front of the whole camp later, you know, hey, can you help me address some of my favorite fears or my, some of my biggest fears? And. Uh, all this kind of stuff. Little did everybody know that that was talking to girls, but whatever. So anyway, so I, said, I said, man, why is this coming up right now? He said, because she's right back there. <laughs> I said, who's right back there? He said, she is. I said, oh, you got a crush here at camp, right? He said, since the first day I walked in, man. <laughs> I was like, okay, I got you. So anyway, I'll give you a quick little story because I like stories. Anyway, so uh, it's just funny. It has nothing to do with the sermon. Um, so I, I told him, so, so how, have you interacted with her at all? Have you, have you talked to her at all? He's like, yeah, man, we was on the archery range, and she was behind me. And she said, I sure hope I can hit one of those juice cartons so I can get to keep it. He's like, so you're tight, huh? <laughs> Y'all like this now. I mean, you might as well go ahead and propose now. Y'all are close. And uh, so <laughs> I said, well, what happened? He said, he said, well, she didn't get one. I said, yeah, dude, but you got like three of them, right? He said, yeah. I said, come on, man, what's wrong with you? I said, you didn't think to give her one of your juice cartons that you had won, like so she would have one? He's like, oh, Kenny, that's the problem, man. He said, I don't think of that stuff in the moment. It's just like, <laughs> I'm so nervous. I don't know what to do. So this is just a little bit of the story, but it's just hilarious anyway. So 
uh, I said, well, here's what you're going to do, man. We're going to recover from this, okay? Here's what you're going to do. You're going to take your juice carton, and you're going to write a little note. It's like, I know you wanted to win one today, but you didn't, so here you can have mine. Have a great night thing, right? So, so we, we sent that over to the other cabin, you know. So she got it. She was all excited or whatever, and, and, and like, that was, that's a big deal, right? So that's good. So um, <laughs> just to talk about his nerves a little bit. The next morning, we go to breakfast. Well, first of all, I'm the one that wakes him up the next morning. We got to go wake up our campers in the morning. So I got to wake him up. I say, hey, man, good news. The juice carton went well. He's, he sits up in bed. He had sat up in bed, and he was looking at me. He goes, thank God, and just collapsed back in bed. <laughs> Like, I feel you, bro, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so anyway, so this is what happens, just a little tidbit about how nervous guys get. So he's sitting there at breakfast. He's, you know, he's thinking of me. He's on cloud nine, right, because she liked the juice carton, so that was a big deal. I mean, now granted, this empty juice carton is basically trash, but, you know, he gave it to her, so it's a big deal. So anyway, so he's sitting there, and, and she sneaks up on him. He doesn't see her coming, and she taps him on the shoulder, and she says, thank you. Like that. Okay, that's a big deal, right? So my boy, you know what he says? He's, he's got his act together now. He's all straight. He freaks out. He goes, thank you. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're welcome. He didn't know what to say. He, I come over there. I said, dude, what happened? He said, Kenny, she said, thank you. And I didn't know what to say, so I said, thank you. <laughs> It's going to be all right, man. It's going to be all right. You're going to live. I promise you're going to live. Um, so anyway, I could tell you more about that story, but I'll probably save that for later sermons. But anyway, so um, just working with these kids, talking about the place that they were in, it helped me to understand kind of being around people that don't know Christ, kind of how they struggle and what it's like for them, and, and being able to connect with them on a little bit deep, deeper level, you know, then I don't get to be around a whole lot of people that really don't have a relationship with Christ. And it really raised my awareness to that. And, and it made me start thinking about that. I just want to be around people that don't know Jesus, you know? I just want to be around them. I want to talk to them. I want to love them. And, and, and then I can love them to Christ, you know? I'm not restricted by camp regulations or rules or whatever. I can just love them to Christ. But I really feel like I need to do that more. And that's something God impressed upon my heart. Um, the other thing that we couldn't do while we were at camp is... I, I really, literally, from 6.30 in the morning until 10.30 in the night, um, I really couldn't have my phone at all. So they discourage you from having your phone at all. You don't look at your phone. You don't mess with your phone, all that kind of stuff. Um, there were a few breaks during the day where you might be able to, but most of the time you were doing other stuff and looking at camper profiles and all this kind of stuff. So it was very rare that you actually got to, to be on your phone. And it made me realize how much I, I get on my phone. You know, I don't know if any of you all have ever had that, but... Um, I know, especially some of the younger ones, they kind of struggle with the phones and all that. But, man, how freeing it was to kind of be released from that. I can't get to my phone. I'm not going to worry about my phone. I'm not going to worry about posting on social media. It's, it's like, like I, I, and I know, I know all the young ones are going like, oh, come on, give me a break about the phones, all right? I love my iPhone. It's great. But I, I, I'm just telling you, um, you know, I posted something on social media not too long ago, and some of you may have saw this, and it kind of, Kick the bees nest, if you will. So it said something like this. It said, uh, if you want to feed the, the homeless, then feed the homeless. But as soon as you put it on social media, then you're feeding your ego, right? So I posted that. You talking about a fit. People had a fit over that. And I love the fact that we had a dialogue about Jesus on social media. So that was good, right? So people were like, so when can I post stuff? And when can I post stuff? 
I'm not telling you any of that. This is what I am telling you, though. If your pictures glorify you and not Christ, then you don't need to post them. How about that? Is that simple enough? Man, you see, I mean, like, we live in a selfie generation, do we not? Like, it is all about self. Uh, we, Keith kind of started us on a, a series called Surrender about dying to self, and, and I just want to continue that today. But, man, we live in a selfie generation. It's like... It's all about the image we portray to the outside world. Am I right? So we were at the beach not long ago, and we were sitting there, and there were these like teenage, late teens, early 20s. I don't know how old they were, to be honest with you. But, man, they spent, I kid you not, like a solid two hours trying to get the right picture on the beach. Them in their bathing suits, laid this way, the hair this way, the wind had to be blowing this way, the sun couldn't be in their eyes. I mean, like, but there couldn't be a shadow on their face either. We watched them, like, for two hours getting that perfect picture on the beach. And that's all they did on the beach. When they got done t- taking the pictures, they just went back to the room. I was like, that's, that's it. I mean, I mean, your existence is based upon what kind of picture you can take on the beach. I mean, like, it's, it's not necessarily about who you are. It's just the image that you can portray. Am I right? And, that, and it is turned into our calling card to the rest of the world, right? It's turned into how we identify ourselves is by how we can portray ourselves to the rest of the world in this selfie generation that we live in. And, and I, I know I sound like an old person when I say that, but really, I mean, we have turned into this thing where it's like, it's all about what I can show everybody else instead of who I am, you know? You know, I was thinking to myself, if I could create an app that would make a lot of money and a lot of people would use it, you know what I would do? I would create a selfie app. And a selfie app that everybody would use all the time. What I need to do is find a way, because people text message a lot, I need to create a selfie app with text messages. Oh, wait. Snapchat, am I right? That's all it is. I mean, like, every single message has a selfie attached to it. Every single one. That's what it's based on. It's based on the selfie. And nobody uses text messages anymore. Unless your mom or dad's texting you, you don't really use text messages. It's just Snapchat nowadays. I'm not down in Snapchat. I don't care if you use Snapchat. But don't sit here and tell me this is a thing I get, right? So, oh, it's, it's, it's just a way that we communicate. It's just something different. Don't tell me it's not about image. Don't tell me that it's not about that picture of yourself that you get to send over and over and over again. The other thing you get told a lot is, oh, it doesn't last forever. It goes away. Right? You get told that. Well, they might screenshot it. Oh, well, you get notified if they screenshot it. You know right away, right? Maybe. Maybe. Unless they do the, the mama screenshot. You know what that is? You know what mama screenshot is? You know when you, you, mama's got an error message on her phone, you say, take a screenshot and send it to me, and she gets out her iPad and takes that picture and then sends it to you, and you're like... You don't know how to screenshot on your phone? Like, now I know how to take pictures. I don't know how to screenshot, but to take that picture and then send it to you. So does Snapchat notify you about that? Huh. Now, some, some girls are probably watching Facebook going, oh, I never thought of that. And there's a lot of guys that are going, Kenny, what are you doing? Am I right? Can we just be honest for a minute? Snapchat doesn't notify you about that, does it? It just lasts for just a little bit, and then it goes away. Not true. Not true. Um, As we talk about surrendering and dying to self, 
I want you to take an honest look at what are you putting out there? And is it about what you're putting out there? Or is it about who you are in your day-to-day life and what you're doing? I didn't talk to you about camp so I could portray myself as some great person that goes off to camp and, and does stuff with kids. That's not the reason I told you that. I told you that so that Christ could be glorified when I tell you about people understanding what it means to be loved and cared for and, and, and how it awakened my soul to these certain things that God has been showing me. That's the reason I tell you, but not so I can boast about myself. You see, there's, there's this generation out there that just wants things to be about them. And you can say whatever you want to. It's not really about that, but it really is. We are becoming so self-absorbed. It will be the destruction of us, by the way. If you look at all the major, major empires, nations, countries, whatever you want to call them, the biggest thing that will cause them to fall is when they become inwardly focused and self-absorbed, and that is their means of destruction. Because when you continue to feed self, when you continue to pour into me, then what continues to happen? You're never happy. You're never happy. You can continue to go on and on and on all day long, but but you will never be satisfied. One of the most satisfying things in my life is when I pour into somebody else. And I had this conversation with one of the kids, too, because... He, we were doing a scavenger hunt thing, and, and he was like carrying around this milk carton we, or a juice carton, and we had hid those all over the camp, and we were going around, and he's like, why am I carrying around this stupid carton with this stupid man's face on it, and it's got stupid grape juice stuff on the out? Why am I carrying this around? Why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. I said, hey, man, can I talk to you for a second? I said, I'll tell you the reason we do that. It's like, because... We've built a family here at camp. This is on the last night at camp. And I said, we built a family here at camp. And sometimes when you build a family, you do things you don't like to do. Sometimes when, when, you, when you build a brotherhood, like we become here, you do stuff for other people just because you want to make them happy. You want them to be okay. You want to, to feel like you're part of them, that we have connected, that we are bonding, that, that we are part of a family. And we sacrifice for one another. That's what we do. That's what we do. And he, go, he started talking to me about his family situation and, and how he never gets to do what he wants to do. And I said, man, that's part of it. That's part of being a family. Said, man, you sacrifice yourself. I said, what, what, if, what if these counselors have said, I'm not coming to camp and spending six days with a bunch of 13-year-olds. I'm not coming to camp. What if I had said, I'm not going to play Connect Four with you. What if I had said that? And he kind of got upset, but he was reflecting on self for a little bit. And I, I left him alone. I, I told one of the other counselors, you're going to have to go and talk to him for a little bit just to want to let you know what I said. But, you know, he's like, I think you said the right thing. The thing about self is you can never feed self enough. It'll always be hungry for more. It'll always continue to grow and grow and grow. You'll never be able to feed self enough. And then what happens? Fighting starts happening, right? Fighting starts happening. I want what I want. You've got what I want. I'm going to take what you've got. You're not doing what I want you to do. Therefore, self takes root, and we destroy each other from the inside out. This can happen in the church. Uh, Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 2. He's writing to the Philippian church. He's on house arrest right now, so... Things are not really that great for him, but he's talking about what an encouragement he has in Christ Jesus. 
And he, and he starts talking to them. These are a group of people that have sent him to some money while he was on house arrest and trying to take care of Paul. And he's encouraged by that, trying to write to them, say thank you, trying to encourage them through Christ. And here in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about the humility of Christ, the attitude of Christ, and how we're supposed to have the attitude of Christ. So in Philippians chapter 2, let's read for just a moment. Now, I want you to think, I mean, house arrest is not as bad as being in a dungeon somewhere where you don't have any light and very little food. It's not as bad, but he is confined to where he's located, so he can't really move around a lot. He can send letters, which he obviously did quite a bit. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. This is, I mean, I think Paul is probably starting out by saying, you can see how I could be in a place of sadness, a place of desperation, depression, whatever you want to call it. You could see why I would be in that place, being on house arrest, for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing life with these people, and here I am on house arrest for doing that. And here he's like, you could see that I would be in need of encouragement, right? You could see that I would be in need of something to pick me up, something to, to, uh, to encourage me, to, to make me feel like, you know what? I am part of a family, and I can feel the love of Christ. And how do we do that? These people were serving Paul while he was in prison. They were serving him. And, and oh, what... A miraculous encouragement it is to be served. I don't know if you've ever been served, but it is an amazing thing when, when, when somebody just says, you know what? Enough of me. I just want to serve you. What can I do for you? When, when you feel that, when you experience that, it's so overwhelming. You truly feel the love of Christ. You really, truly feel encouraged as a result of that. And here we're talking about Paul in prison, and he is truly encouraged by the fact that they are together, they are fellowshipping through one spirit, and he's encouraging them, like, what you're doing for me, you need to do for each other. You're in agreement with me, you need to be in agreement with each other. It is important that you do that. It is important that as a body that you're working together in a united way. So we've talked about this a ton of times, right? And we're going to flip to Romans chapter 12 in just a minute and talk about some stuff in there and and why it's important for the body to be unified. The body has to be unified. And, and here, Paul is talking to them, and he wants to show them kind of like the first step, if you will, in being unified. If you are self-centered and you are selfish, how difficult is it for you to be unified? It's pretty doggone difficult, ain't it? If it's all about me and what I want and how I want it and make up my bed this way, it is very difficult to be united, to be unified with anybody else if you're self-centered. You ever known a self-centered person? It's kind of tough to be their friend, isn't it? It's kind of real tough to be their friend. Their best friend is themselves, so you can't very well be their best friend, you know? And here he's talking about the body of Christ is supposed to be different, y'all. The body of Christ, as we die to ourselves, this is what it's supposed to look like, to be unified. So the first thing we need to do, he says it in verse 3. It's very complicated here. If you look in the first three words of verse 3 of Philippians chapter 2, it says this. I'll read it for you carefully. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Like, what did I learn today at 
church, you know? What did God show me? Maybe just three words. If you walk away from here with nothing else, three words. Don't be selfish. I wonder what God would have us to do if we were to be Christians and we're pursuing Christ and, and all these things. What are we supposed to do? Well, I got three words for you today. Don't be selfish. I didn't say them. They didn't come from me. They came through Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't be selfish. I mean, it was so important that we took time to write it down. And it was so important that though it was written down, it's still with us over 2,000 years later. We're still talking about it. What are we supposed to do? Kenny, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a Christ follower. Three words. Man, I, I, don't, know, I, don't, know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. How am I supposed to find this path that God has put, on, put out there for me? I am, I'm like struggling to understand God's plan for me. Maybe we just go back to the basics and start with, I don't know, don't be selfish. Maybe that's a good place to start. Don't try to impress others. So he's going another kind of extra level, if you will. Paul's been a little extra right here. So he's saying, don't be selfish, and then don't try to impress other people. So a selfish person wants to, what do they want to do? They want to lift themselves up, right? And what often happens for a selfish person that tries to lift themselves up? They want to push everybody else down. Am I right? So they're not on equal footing because a selfish person, a self-centered person, doesn't want to be on equal footing with everybody. He wants himself to be up here and everybody else to be down here. So he is constantly building himself up. Be humble. Oh, man. Kenny, you've given us five words we've got to remember about being a Christian today. Don't be selfish. Be humble. Yep. But then... Paul goes on to be extra, extra. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Oh, no. Now we got, like, first of all, it was like, I was up here, they were down there. Okay, don't be selfish. All right, they're coming up, but they're still not. They're, they're, they're maybe on equal footing with me, but they're not really where I am. And, and okay, fine, Paul, you've had enough. Okay, give me a break. All right, I'm doing good here. Everybody's almost on an equal playing field with, with me, but yeah, okay. So and he says, oh, no, 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 no. You got to flip it upside down. They got to be up here. You got to be down here. What? You have to know something about this, this concept. This was a very foreign concept to, that, to this day and this time. Being humble was not something you achieved or, or tried to achieve. You, you, didn't, you didn't strike out in your life to be humble because this particular word in this context meant that you were lowly. You, you were beneath society. You were a, 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 a kind of a vagabond so far as social uh, connections were concerned. That, that you were lonely almost. Nobody wanted to be humble Nobody wanted to be at the bottom of the social ladder. Nobody wanted to be down there at the bottom socially. So why would you want to be that? You have to understand that up until the New Testament, this was a very foreign concept to anybody. Because Jesus, Jesus is the one that turned that on his head. Humble became a characteristic that people tried to achieve. Why? Why? Because he set that standard. We're going to talk about that. 
He goes on to say, don't look out for your own interest, for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. This is basically where um, God kind of gripped me, if you will, um, when I was at camp and thinking about things. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So we spend a lot of time focusing on ourselves, don't we? We bathe ourselves, we feed ourselves, we buy ourselves cars and houses and clothes and perfume and hairspray and whatever, right? So we spend a lot of time focused on self. We spend very little time focused on the interests of others. And I'm talking about, I'm not just talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians too. Do you, this is going to blow your mind. You guys are not going to believe what was said. At the end of camp, we had a uh, kind of a debriefing, if you will. And so they were talking to all the, the counselors, and we had a chance to speak if we wanted to. And, of course, I don't ever shut up, so I had to say something. But then, um, so they were saying, oh, by the way, if you would like to volunteer, we still have some openings toward the end of the year. You're not going to believe what they said. This is what they said. We have plenty of female volunteers. We have very few male volunteers. You ever heard me sing this song before? I don't think we're raising boys up to be men. I'm just going to be honest with you. We're raising up these tough guys. But the only reason they're tough is because they're self-centered. They're not really focused on anybody else but themselves. So we call that tough. And I think it's wrong. And I think as Christians, we got to turn this around. we got to turn the tide on this, this flow that's going on in society right now, which all these tough guys that can't serve anybody else, they can't pour in anybody else. Now, I know that, that there, there's, there's, there's a handful of us in here, man, and we go and we do and we serve and, and we, we are doing everything we can for somebody else. And I got that. But, man, that is the minority. That is the minority. I've told you before that when, when, when we've heard about people going on mission trips, they go over to, to Africa or, and, and people will ask, so aren't the men the leaders in your church? Yes, they are. So where are they? Why did they not come over on the mission trip, but it's mostly women? I don't understand. We have got to change this mentality. If you think that you're a man, then get down on your hands and knees and serve somebody. If you want to raise up a real man, parents, if you got a little boy and you want to raise up him to be a real man, show him how to serve other people. Show him how to get down on his hands and knees because he's down there with you serving other people. We're too afraid to go to a cancer camp because it might upset us. And we, as men, might shed a tear. We might show our softer side. You know what? Jesus wept. And he's as manly as they get. He stood up there on the cross and committed his own life to heaven. He committed his own spirit to heaven. Nobody took his life. He willingly gave it up, and he gave it up for all of us. And that's as manly as it gets. So we talk about, man, I don't want to cry. I don't want to have my heart open like that. I don't want people to see that side of me. Well, people saw that side of Jesus. And he is the ultimate picture of what we're supposed to be as men. I know I harp on men a lot. Well, that's because I am one. Get over it. 
Do something for somebody else. Quit being so self-centered, self-focused. Get some interest in something that somebody else has and pour into somebody else. It says, you must have the same attitude that that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, Jesus was God, the creator of the universe, the stars in the sky, the oceans, and, and where they stop in the sand. The one that created every single living creature on the earth. The one that that, that, that put all of the heavens into motion. That one. He was God. He was God and he came down here for us. And look what he did. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He was God, all right? But he didn't see himself as God. He didn't cling to that and say, y'all serve me. I am God. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Because without that, without that, 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 that mentality, I'd have no hope whatsoever. Right. I, I'd be like people wandering around going, well, I guess when I die, I just become worm food. There's not a lot of hope in that, is there? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He was entitled to the deed to the earth, which we see him take in the book of Revelation, he was entitled to every single thing, but he gave it up willingly. He laid it down. He laid it down for all of us. He said, it's not about me. It's about all of you. And we sit here in these seats and we listen to that. It should stir you to your core. He was God, but he laid that all down and to the side so that he could serve us. He took the humble position of a slave, a servant, and was born a human being. This flesh is weak and feeble and and just he, he is eternal, existing in past, present, and future all at the same time. His expanse is beyond what we can comprehend. We think we understand how big God is. He is infinitely bigger than that. And he took on a human form. I mean, to think that he holds the the oceans, all the entire waters of the entire world in the hollows of his hand, and he became a human, humbled himself so that he could become flesh and blood and walk amongst us. Understanding infinitely more than we could ever understand. Having an eternal perspective. All of that at the same time in becoming flesh. That's humility. That's humility. When he he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And died a criminal's death on a cross. He didn't just die. They they didn't just uh, execute him or exile him or anything like that. He died a criminal's death, the worst kind of death, the worst kind of punishment they could put him through. Even though he was completely innocent, never did a single thing wrong except humble himself and tell them that he was God. That's the only thing he ever did. Tried to explain the things of heaven to them in a way that they could understand. All he did was heal people and touch people and love people and find them where they are and rescue them. 
Lame people, people that, that had leprosy, that, that couldn't be touched by another human being. He healed them so that they could be rescued. And he died for that. The worst kind of death, the criminal's death. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. It almost seems like what Paul is pointing out here. It almost seems like he said, you know what? If you want to be first, you got to be last. If you want to glorify your father, can you imagine that, that he uh, owns everything that we know to be in existence and infinitely more than that? When you think about this speck of dust that we are and when you consider the whole universe and everything that, that exists that we know to exist and to think that infinitely more exists beyond that. And, and when you think about the fact that he himself came down to... to be a human, and that we can give him honor? How, do, how, does a, how does the grain of sand on the beach give honor to the entire expanse of the ocean? And it is infinitely more than that when it comes to us glorifying our Father who is in heaven. That's hard to, for me to wrap my mind around. But he says, if you want to do it, if you want to do it, if you want to be part of my glory, if you want to experience glorifying me, then do what my son did. Do what I did for all of you. Follow the pattern that I set for you. He wasn't too afraid to let his softer side show. He wasn't too manly to say, you know what? I have divine privileges. If I call an, uh, a legion of angels down right now, they'll come right now and rescue me. No, instead he did this. He remained silent. When they accused him of things he did not do, when he went before a false trial and took the punishment that we all deserve, that's the picture of humility. That's the picture of what your Savior did for you. When he was beaten, when he was pulled over that stump and, and the flesh was ripped from his ribs and from his back, when the beard was plucked from his face, when the crown of thorns were placed on his head and the blood poured down his face, he did that in humility. He, he could have he made it all go away in the blink of an eye, but instead, instead, in obedience to his father, he humbled himself. And followed through with the plan that God had set before him. I wonder if in this selfie generation. If we can really look at the picture of what Christ did. If we can really look and see. This is the example that Christ said. This is what Christ set before us. As the pattern that's supposed to be our lives. I wonder if we can lay ourselves aside for just a few minutes. To take an interest in somebody else. Maybe somebody that has less abilities, less privileges, so that we can go and we can serve somebody else and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men so they will see your good deeds and it will glorify your Father who is in heaven. The camp that I went to, 
I got a blue shirt that says right across the, the, the front of it. It says, shine on. Shine on. And I could not help but to think of that verse. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds. They glorify your Father who is in heaven. Does your light shine on? Do your good deeds glorify your Father who is in heaven? Or have you become self-centered and all about me and therefore I cannot humble myself enough to go and serve somebody else? Now, I know that we all like to say that we do. We all like to say that, well, I give money or I do this or I do that. But when you lay down at night and you think about what Christ did for you and you look at the picture of the humility that he exhibited for all of us, is that the picture of your life? Is that the image that you strive to follow? Is that the picture that, that you want for your life? One that is of such humility that, that that's what you're known by? It used to not be something that people wanted to obtain. They wanted to obtain the best for themselves and everything that they could get. And Christ said, no, 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 no. The perfect picture is the Father's love when everybody else is up here and you're down here. And he took on the position of a slave so we might be rescued, so that we might become the righteousness of God. How's your life? How's your, how's your humility? How's your servanthood? Romans chapter 12 says, don't think too much of yourself. Don't think yourself to be better than you are. It's because you're part of one body. And you're all working together for the same purpose. With Christ as the head, the rest of the body is just following his lead for the same purpose. And that is to bring glory to God. Is that the, the picture of your life one that says, you know what? I'm not more important than anybody else. I'm just a humble servant coming as part of the body. Not being about me. Saying, God, wherever you lead, we'll follow. Or is it more about self for you? That's the question. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't be selfish. Be humble.